In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the month of Bauna, and we read a story about the paralyzed man who was brought into the house where the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, in order to be healed, and there was no space for them to enter in the house because there were so many people, so the four friends lowered the man from the roof so that he could come before the Lord. And when the Lord saw him, um, it says in verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And when the Lord uh, forgave the sins of this man, everyone was confused and everyone said, how can this man forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And so then the Lord said, well, so you know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. He went ahead and, for, and healed the man so that he could stand up and walk. So for us as human beings, sometimes we focus so much on the physical healing and we don't see so much the need or the necessity or, or the, 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 the power of the spiritual healing that the Lord offers to all of us. But for the Lord to heal this man spiritually before he healed him physically means that the burden of his, of his spiritual suffering was actually greater than the burden of his physical suffering. And we can say that a man who is paralyzed, who cannot move, cannot walk, cannot do anything, who re relies on other people to, um, to be able to function in his life, of course, it's very debilitating and difficult. But how much more then was the spiritual burden that this man was carrying all his life that was uh, not dealt with that the Lord saw? And the very first thing that he did is he healed the man um, of his sins, the, 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 the spiritual pain and suffering that he was experiencing. So I want to speak today about a psalm, Psalm 38, which is a psalm written by King David during a period of his life where he was being chastised by God and he was experiencing all kinds of consequences of his sin that he had committed and was suffering as a result. And as many of the Psalms of King David, we see the expression of his emotions um, that maybe we can relate to and understanding how is it that we feel after that maybe we have fallen into sin and after we experience the consequences of the sin. So I, I wanted to speak a little bit about it because we see how much the Lord was able to remove this burden um, from this man. And that's what it is that we're trying to get out of this. So in Psalm 38, starts out where the King David is speaking about how he has sinned against God and reaping the consequences of sin. It says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. The consequences that we experience whenever we sin against God could be spiritual, meaning we experience separation from God, losing our peace, or it could be physical, Maybe a physical consequence, someone who takes drugs, for instance, might experience the physical consequence of the sin. Um, or it could be mental, um, the, 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 the stress that is placed on us as a result of the sin that we've committed, or relational, the way that our relationships with other people are affected because of the sin. And here King David is asking God to not be chastened. He says, for, for your arrows pierce me deeply, meaning all of the consequences of my sin is piercing me. The, the sorrow that I have because of the sin that I have committed is weighing down on me. It presses me down. Whether it be the natural consequence of sin or whether it be the rebuking of God to cause King David, to cause all of us to return and to be restored again, the consequences of sin are real and cause us all kinds of pain and suffering. And this was the first thing here that King David says in the psalm. The second was, is the consequences of sin are so great that they affect our health. It says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, 
nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone up over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. The pain that I experience as a result of my sin is so great that even my physical health is affected. Maybe we have all experienced at one point in our life a kind of stress that prevents us from being able to function normally, from being able to sleep, from being able to have normal uh, relationships with people, from being able to work, maybe falling into some kind of a depression that he's saying here, because of your anger, what, nor any health in my bones. There's not any health in my bones, no soundness in my flesh. That even the, 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 the burden and the weight of the sin, the consequence of sin, this burden is causing my life to be changed, that I'm not able to even to function and, and behave as normal. I can't stop thinking about it. I feel distracted. I feel broken. I feel like my whole life is now focused on this pain and the suffering that I'm experiencing that maybe I've never experienced anything to this degree or this magnitude before. And so King David here is expressing this to God. He's saying that my these consequences is so great, they are affecting even my health. Then he says what? I recognize that the sin was my fault and I deserve the consequences. So he actually, King David, recognizes that all of these things that are coming upon him are actually his own doing. And this is a different kind of pain as well. When we know that it is by our own hand that we have brought all of these calamities on us, that maybe if we had made different choices, if we had not fallen into sin, if we had listened to instruction, if we were more careful, if we did not allow ourselves to toy with the idea of sin as much as we did, then we could have stopped this process before it began. And yet here he is suffering from sin because it was his own. It's, he says, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. And you can experience the pain that King David is experiencing here when he says, I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. It is His, his entire life is now consumed with this, and he, he attributes it to his own foolishness. He says, because of my foolishness, Right? My wounds are foul and festering. I have brought this all upon myself, and this adds a greater dimension of pain and regret. It makes me feel like I do not desire even to live because I have brought this on myself. And maybe we remember the past. We remember how things used to be better before when we had taken it for granted, and we didn't realize how good it was that we had before. And now we are suffering this greater suffering because of sin, because of the, the, the mistakes and the, and the faults of our own that we have made by our own hand. And I can't even imagine perhaps a day where the, the, the pain and the suffering that I experience will end and that it will go away. This is here what, what King David is, is expressing. All of this is a part of the burden of sin, the burden of the suffering that comes from sin that Christ is coming to restore and to remove and to heal. Next, he says that he per perceives God's presence, but he has no strength to seek him. He says, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. So maybe he remembered the Lord. He says, all my desire is before you. He remembered God, but he has no strength in him to even call out to God. Maybe he, he, he understands that God is present. He knows that the Lord is offering him forgiveness. He knows that the Lord is merciful. But in his brokenness, he is unable even to call out to God, unable to reach out to him believing that maybe God has the ability to heal, 
but he has no strength in his bones in order to reach out and to ask. Maybe in these moments we feel that our prayers are cold and I have no desire to pray. I have no desire to seek from God because I am just kind of wallowing in my own misery. Um, I feel that my pleas are falling on deaf ears. Is God really going to hear? Or maybe we lack the faith to believe that God can even undo the troubles that I am in, that he could restore me again, that he could make a new path forward for me, even after all the suffering and all the failings and all the mistakes that I have made. In what way can the Lord restore me again? Then, he says, I feel abandoned by loved ones and I'm not comforted by words of comfort. In Psalm 38, verse 11, 13, and 14, he says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. When he says, my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, he's like saying, others do not understand. Either they do not care about my suffering, they do not care what I'm experiencing, or even those who care do not understand my suffering. They don't understand what I'm going through. And no matter what kind of words they, they say to me to try to comfort me, those words kind of have no power. Those words have no effect. It reminded me of Job when he had these three friends of his who were coming to try to comfort him in the midst of his suffering, and yet their comforts were, uh, were foolish. They kept trying to tell Job that all of this came upon him, all this calamity came upon him because of his own sin, which wasn't the truth, and they didn't say anything to actually comfort Job at all in the midst of all of this. And so Job, in, in, in chapter 16, he responded to them. He said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Miserable comforters. You're not able to comfort me. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand who is it that I am or what is it that I'm experiencing. And in the case of Job, he had committed no sin. So he is, he's not even, they didn't even understand who he was or why any of these things were happening. And yet they were speaking as though they understood. So sometimes when we're in the midst of very deep pain, other people cannot really understand us. They can't understand what it is that we are experiencing and why. And maybe out of their good intentions of trying to say things to comfort, their words actually make things worse. And maybe this is also like a, um, a blessing in disguise because God does not want us to seek comfort from one another as much as he wants us to seek comfort from him. He is the one who understands. He is the one who can hear our prayers, who can hear the groanings of our heart, who knows the suffering we experience, who knows the pain that we maybe go to sleep with every night, and he is aware and knows this pain, and he calls us to reach out to him so that we are comforted only in him. Instead of feeling alone and isolated and feeling that no one understands me, we know that the Lord understands, and the Lord is, um, you know, always has a listening ear to hear our prayer. Then King David goes on and he says that his hope remains in God. In verses 15 and 16, it says, For in you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God, for I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. Saying, but the pain that has become so severe that I feel that God is my only hope, and in the midst of my tears, I call out to him and try to find comfort in him. And one of the reasons maybe that God allows such intensity of pain and suffering in our life is to bring us to that point where we are willing to do anything. We're willing to reach out and, and seek from God his comfort. Maybe at no other point in my life. This is why you see sometimes people who have never prayed or pray very, very rarely, 
in the moments of intense pain and suffering is they're willing to reach out to God and willing to pray to Him because that moment is so powerful for them that that's the only thing that brings them to their knees in prayer. So even when we, when we ask why is it that God allows all kinds of suffering in the world, maybe this is one of the reasons that this is the only thing that can get me to turn to Him. This is the only thing that can get me um, to pray. Uh, we read actually um, about this in the prayer of Jonah. When Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he said, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Prior to this moment in the story of Jonah, Jonah was not considering God at all. God kept telling him what to do to go and preach to the Ninevites. He went the other way. He, he fled. He traveled to the completely opposite part of the world. There was a storm. There was, uh, you know, the, the, the possibility of, of the ship getting shipwrecked where, where he was and, and him drowning. At no point, actually, in the entire story of Jonah do we hear about Jonah praying at all, except in this moment when he was in the belly of the fish. And this is when it says, my soul fainted within me. I remember the Lord and my prayer went up unto you. So here also King David, in the midst of his suffering and pain, he calls out to the Lord and he believes that God will hear him um, because he has no other recourse. Also, King David repented of his sins. He said, for I am ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me, for I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. Maybe until we feel the pangs of suffering because of our sin, we are not willing even to acknowledge our sin. We're not willing to acknowledge that what we have done is wrong. Only until we experience the greatest suffering that comes with it, that we realize that this is all came about because of my own, my own sin, because of my own failure. That if I hadn't done what it is that I had done, then maybe none of these things would have happened. So here, one of the reasons that the Lord allows this is to get us to that point of repentance for us to turn and to change and to acknowledge our sin and to seek a new beginning for God to give me another chance. And this is really the critical point in this process because God wants to bring us up to the point of repentance, but he doesn't want to bring us to despair. He doesn't want us to feel in that moment that there is no hope and that my life has ended and that there is nothing that I can do and there is no path forward for me. No, he brings us up to that point so that we can repent and so that we can have our hope in him so that we trust that he is able to bring us up out of that into a better life, into a better way, to be able to make up for our failings and our mistakes and grant us another life. But then the moment that I begin to experience hope, the, the moment that I repent of my sins and I, and I begin to feel that there is some hope in the future, the enemy still pursues me. The evil one continues to war against me. He says, but my enemies are vigorous and they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. So he says, the moment that I try to do good, the moment that I repent of my sins, the moment that I try to have hope and believe that there is a road forward for me, that God has not abandoned me, then this moment, this is when my enemies come and they are vigorous and they hate me and they render evil for good. And this is when the devil comes to us with his voices of accusation, who calls us to hate ourselves, to hate our life, to, to, to doubt that God loves us, to doubt the existence of God, to doubt that God can restore us or that God can do anything to bring us back to where we were. So Satan still pursues us and he doesn't want us to receive the, accept the forgiveness of God. For maybe God is very easy to forgive. 
But how much more difficult is it for us to receive his forgiveness, to accept his forgiveness, to believe that truly we are forgiven. And though we are trying, the enemy continues to pursue us and seeks our destruction. Then we call on God for salvation. He says in, in, the, in the final two verses of the psalm, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So in the end, we remember that God is the forgiver of sins and that he is able to restore us to himself no matter what is it that we have done. And this is the ultimate victory that King David demonstrates in this psalm, that he, as he goes through all this process of grieving, of, of repentance, of, of despair, of fighting, of hope, of receiving forgiveness, and ultimately we seeking salvation from God and feeling that God, the presence of God with him so that he can overcome, this is also the process that we go through whenever we fall into sin, whenever we struggle. And, and just as we read today in the, um, in the gospel, that the burden of sin, that the Lord is seeking to heal us from is many times far more painful and debilitating than the burden of a physical a physical illness that this man had. This is why, again, the Lord healed the man first spiritually, and then he healed him physically. And this spiritual sickness that sometimes we have can go um, unnoticed. Maybe we don't even realize that we have it. Maybe we go through our life struggling with this spiritual illness, struggling with separation from God, struggling from feelings of guilt and shame, struggling with past mistakes that have not been dealt with or repented of, or even for those that we've repented of, we have not received forgiveness because we have not accepted the forgiveness of God. And so all of these struggles, maybe we live our entire life with because we believe that there is no way for us to deal with them, or we believe that this is just the state of life. Whereas today the Lord shows us that he can come and he can heal us, not just of our physical pain, but of our spiritual pain, of our, of our mental pain, of our psychological pain. He can heal us from all of the things that separate us from him so that we can have joy in our life and that we don't have to live our life with sadness or despair or depression, but that we can have joy in him. Maybe the problems themselves do not go away. There is no guarantee, actually, that the Lord is going to heal our paralysis. The, the Lord didn't necessarily have to heal this man from his paralysis. It says the reason he did so was to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. This is why he did it, to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. What is the greater healing that happened today in the gospel? It was the forgiveness of his sins. It was the restoration of the man, not just the healing of his paralysis. So maybe in our life, even though we are asking God to heal us of the paralysis, to heal our physical problem, to solve the physical problem that we have, is it possible for God to do so? Of course, he can do so. But it doesn't mean that it, he necessarily will. But the thing that he has promised that he will definitely and necessarily do is to forgive our sins, is to restore us spiritually, is to restore us to himself and to grant us this healing. May God grant us healing in both body and spirit and in every way that he knows that we are suffering and restore us back to him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.